0: This is day 35 of our daily Bible reading. Today we will read Numbers chapters 20 through 23 and Psalm 35. Lord God, thank you for this day. Lord, you are so wonderful. You are so mighty. You are so righteous and so faithful. Many of the things that we aim to be. And we come before you today with a heart of gratitude toward your character, toward everything you have done. And in the days to come, please soften our hearts toward your will. Please show us what you desire for us to do. You have already described how we are to obey you in Scripture. And Lord, help us to be more aware of it. And cause us to strive for holiness in the way that we conduct ourselves, what we put into our heads, and what comes out of our mouths. Please bless the reading of your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Then the sons of Israel, the whole congregation, came to the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed at Kadesh. Now Miriam died there, and was buried there. There was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves against Moses and Aaron. The people thus contended with Moses, and spoke, saying, If only we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why then have you brought the Lord's assembly into this wilderness, for us and our beasts to die here? Why have you made us come up from Egypt, to bring us into this wretched place? It is not a place of grain, or figs, or vines, or pomegranates, nor is there water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron came in from the presence of the assembly to the doorway of the tent of meeting, and fell on their faces. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to them, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, and you and your brother Aaron assemble the congregation, and speak to the rock before their eyes, that it may yield its water. You shall thus bring forth water for them out of the rock, and let the congregation and their beasts drink. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord, just as he had commanded him, And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the rock. And he said to them, Listen now, you rebels, shall we bring forth water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod, and water came forth abundantly, and the congregation and their beasts drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you have not believed me, to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Those were the waters of Meribah, because the sons of Israel contended with the Lord, and he proved himself holy among them. From Kadesh, Moses then sent messengers to the king of Edom. Thus your brother Israel has said, You know all the hardship that has befallen us. that our fathers went down to Egypt, and we stayed in Egypt a long time. And the Egyptians treated us and our fathers badly. But when we cried out to the Lord, he heard our voice, and sent an angel, and brought us out from Egypt. Now behold, we are at Kadesh, a town on the edge of your territory. Please let us pass through your land. We will not pass through field or through vineyard. We will not even drink water from any well. We will go along the king's highway, not turning to the right or to the left, until we pass through your territory. Edom, however, said to him, You shall not pass through us, or I will come out with the sword against you. Again the sons of Israel said to him, We will go up by the highway. And if I and my livestock do drink any of your water, then I will pay its price. Let me only pass through on my feet, nothing else. But he said, You shall not pass through. And Edom came out against him with a heavy force and with a strong hand. Thus Edom refused to allow Israel to pass through his territory. So Israel turned away from him. Now when they set out from Kadesh, the sons of Israel, the whole congregation, came to Mount Hor. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron at Mount Hor, by the border of the land of Edom, saying, Aaron will be gathered to his people, for he shall not enter the land which I have given to the sons of Israel, because you rebelled against my command at the waters of Meribah. Take Aaron and his son Eliezer and bring them up to Mount Hor. And strip Aaron of his garments, and put them on his son Eliezer. So Aaron will be gathered to his people, and will die there. So Moses did just as the Lord had commanded, and they went up to Mount Hor in the sight of all the congregation. After Moses had stripped Aaron of his garments, and put them on his son Eliezer, Aaron died there, on the mountaintop. Then Moses and Eleazar came down from the mountain. When all the congregation saw that Aaron had died, all the house of Israel wept for Aaron thirty days. When the Canaanites, the king of Arad, who lived in the Negev, heard that Israel was coming by the way of Atharim, then he fought against Israel, and took some of them captive. So Israel made a vow to the Lord, and said, If you will indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. The Lord heard the voice of Israel, and delivered up the Canaanites. Then they utterly destroyed them and their cities. Thus the name of the place was called Hormah. Then they set out from Mount Hor. By the way of the Red Sea, to go around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient because of the journey. The people spoke against God and Moses, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this miserable food. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. So the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, because we have spoken against the Lord and you. Intercede with the Lord, that he may remove the serpents from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent, and set it on a standard, and it shall come about, that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he will live. And Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on the standard. And it came about that if any serpent bit any man, when he looked to the bronze serpent, he lived. Now the sons of Israel moved out and camped at Oboth. They journeyed from Oboth and camped at EA Abarim in the wilderness of which is opposite Moab, to the east. From there they set out and camped in Wadi Zered. From there they journeyed and camped on the other side of the Arnon, which is in the wilderness that comes out of the border of the Amorites. For the Arnon is the border of Moab, between Moab and the Amorites. Therefore it is said in the book of the Wars of the Lord, Waheb and Sufah, and the wadis of the Arnon, and the slope of the wadis that extends to the site of Ar, and leans to the border of Moab. From there they continued to Beer, that is the well where the Lord said to Moses, Assemble the people, that I may give them water. Then Israel sang this song, Spring up, O well, sing to it. The well which the leaders sank, which the nobles of the people dug, with the scepter and with their staffs. And from the wilderness they continued to Matana, and from Matana to Nahaliel, and from Nahaliel to Bamoth, and from Bamoth to the valley that is in the land of Moab, at the top of Pisgah, which overlooks the wasteland. Then Israel sent messengers to Sion, king of the Amorites saying, Let me pass through your land. We will not turn off into field or vineyard. We will not drink water from wells. We will go by the king's highway until we have passed through your border. But Sion would not permit Israel to pass through his border. So Sion gathered all his people and went out against Israel in the wilderness, and came to Jahaz and fought against Israel. Then Israel struck him with the edge of the sword, and took possession of his land, from the Arnon to the Jabbok, as far as the sons of Ammon. For the border of the sons of Ammon was Jazer. Israel took all these cities, and Israel lived in all the cities of the Amorites, in Heshbon, and in all her villages. For Heshbon was the city of Sion, king of the Amorites, who had fought against the former king of Moab, and had taken all his land out of his hand, as far as the Arnon. Therefore those who use Proverbs say, Come to Heshbon, let it be built. So let the city of Sion be established. For a fire went forth from Heshbon, a flame from the town of Sion. It devoured Ar of Moab, the dominant heights of the Arnon. Woe to you, O Moab! You are ruined, O people of Chamash! He has given his sons as fugitives, and his daughters into captivity, to an Amorite king, Sion. But we have cast them down. Heshbon is ruined as far as Deban. Then we have wade laced even to Nopha, which reaches to Mediba. Thus Israel lived in the land of the Amorites. Moses sent to spy out Jazer, and they captured its villages and dispossessed the Amorites who were there. Then they turned and went up by the way of Bashan, and Og, the king of Bashan, went out with all his people for battle at Adre. But the Lord said to Moses, Do not fear him, for I have given him into your hand, and all his people and his land and you shall do to him as you did to Sion, king of the Amorites, who lived at Heshbon. So they killed him, and his sons, and all his people, until there was no remnant left him, and they possessed his land. Then the sons of Israel journeyed, and camped in the plains of Moab, beyond the Jordan, opposite Jericho. Now Balak, the son of Zippor saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. So Moab was in great fear because of the people, for they were numerous. And Moab was in dread of the sons of Israel. Moab said to the elders of Midian, Now this horde will lick up all that is around us, as the auk licks up the grass of the field. And Balak the son of Zippor was king of Moab at that time. So he sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor, at Pethor, which is near the river, in the land of the sons of his people, to call him, saying, Behold, a people came out of Egypt. Behold, they cover the surface of the land, and they are living opposite me. Now therefore, please come. Curse this people for me, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I may be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land? For I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the fees for divination in their hand. And they came to Balaam and repeated Balak's words to him. He said to them, Spend the night here, and I will bring word back to you as the Lord may speak to me and the leaders of Moab stayed with Balaam. Then God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? Balaam said to God, Balak the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent word to me. Behold, there is a people who came out of Egypt, and they cover the surface of the land. Now come, curse them for me. Perhaps I may be able to fight against them and drive them out. God said to Balaam, Do not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. So Balaam arose in the morning and said to Balak's leaders, Go back to your land, for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. The leaders of Moab arose and went to Balak and said, Balaam refused to come with us. Then Balak again sent leaders, more numerous and more distinguished than the former. They came to Balaam and said to him, Thus says Balak the son of Zippor, Let nothing, I beg you, hinder you from coming to me. For I will indeed honor you richly, and I will do whatever you say to me. Please come, then, curse this people for me. Balaam replied to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not do anything either small or great, contrary to the command of the Lord my God. Now please, you also stay here tonight, and I will find out what else the Lord will speak to me. God came to Balaam at night, and said to him, If the men have come to call you, rise up and go with them, but only the word which I speak to you shall you do. So Balaam arose in the morning, and saddled his donkey and went with the leaders of Moab. But God was angry, because he was going. And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him. Now he was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, the donkey turned off from the way and went into the field but Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back into the way. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path of the vineyards, with a wall on this side and a wall on that side. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pressed herself to the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall, so he struck her again. The angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn to the right hand or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam was angry and struck the donkey with his stick. And the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? Then Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have made a mockery of me. If there had been a sword in my hand, I would have killed you by now. The donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey, on which you have ridden all your life to this day? Have I ever been accustomed to do so to you? And he said, No. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand and he bowed all the way to the ground. The angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out as an adversary, because your way was contrary to me. But the donkey saw me, and turned aside from me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, I would surely have killed you just now and let her live. Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know that you were standing in the way against me. Now then, if it is displeasing to you, I will turn back. But the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but you shall speak only the word which I tell you. So Balaam went along with the leaders of Balak. When Balak heard that Balaam was coming, he went out to meet him at the city of Moab, which is on the Arnon border, at the extreme end of the border. Then Balak said to Balaam, Did I not urgently send you to call you? Why did you not come to me? Am I really unable to honor you? So Balaam said to Balak, Behold, I have come now to you. Am I able to speak anything at all? The word that God puts in my mouth that I shall speak. And Balaam went with Balak, and they came to Kiriath-Huzath. Balak sacrificed oxen and sheep, and sent some to Balaam, and the leaders who were with him. Then it came about in the morning, that Balak took Balaam, and brought him up to the high places of Baal, and he saw from there a portion of the people. Then Balaam said to Balak, Build seven altars for me there, and prepare seven bulls and seven rams for me here. Balak did just as Balaam had spoken, and Balak and Balaam offered up a bull and a ram on each altar. Then Balaam said to Balak, Stand beside your burnt offering, and I will go. Perhaps the Lord will come to meet me, and whatever he shows me, I will tell you. So he went to a bare hill. Now God met Balaam, and he said to him, I have set up the seven altars, and I have offered up a bull and a ram on each altar. Then the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth, and said, Return to Balak, and you shall speak thus. So he returned to him, and behold, he was standing beside his burnt offering, he and all the leaders of Moab. He took up his discourse, and said, From Aram Balak has brought me, Moab's king from the mountains of the east. Come curse Jacob for me, and come denounce Israel. How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? And how can I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? As I see him from the top of the rocks, and I look at him from the hills, behold, a people who dwells apart, and will not be reckoned among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob, or number the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the upright, and let my end be like his. Then Balak said to Balaam, What have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies. But behold, you have actually blessed them. He replied, must I not be careful to speak what the Lord puts in my mouth? Then Balak said to him, Please come with me to another place from where you may see them, although you will only see the extreme end of them, and we will not see all of them, and curse them for me from there. So he took him to the field of Zophim, to the top of Pisgah, and built seven altars, and offered a bowl and a ram on each altar. And he said to Balak, Stand here, beside your burnt offering, while I myself meet the Lord over there. Then the Lord met Balaam, and put a word in his mouth, and said, Return to Balak, and thus you shall speak. He came to him, and behold, he was standing beside his burnt offering, and the leaders of Moab with him. And Balak said to him, What has the Lord spoken? Then he took up his discourse and said, Arise, O Balak, and hear. Give ear to me, O son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Behold, I have received a command to bless. When he has blessed, then I cannot revoke it. He has not observed misfortune in Jacob, nor has he seen trouble in Israel. The Lord his God is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. God brings them out of Egypt. He is for them like the horns of the wild ox. For there is no omen against Jacob, nor is there any divination, against Israel. At the proper time it shall be said to Jacob and to Israel what God has done. Behold, a people rises like a lioness, and as a lion it lifts itself. It will not lie down until it devours the prey and drinks the blood of the slain. Then Balak said to Balaam, Do not curse them at all, nor bless them at all. But Balaam replied to Balak. Did I not tell you, Whatever the Lord speaks, that I must do? Then Balak said to Balaam, Please come. I will take you to another place. Perhaps it will be agreeable with God that you curse them for me from there. So Balak took Balaam to the top of Peor, which overlooks the wasteland. Balaam said to Balak, Build seven altars for me here and prepare seven bulls and seven rams for me here. Balak did, just as Balaam had said, and offered up a bull and a ram on each altar. Psalm 35, A Psalm of David Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of buckler and shield and rise up for my help. Draw also the spear and the battle axe to meet those who pursue me. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Let those be ashamed and dishonored who seek my life. Let those be turned back and humiliated who devise evil against me. Let them be like chaff before the wind, with the angel of the Lord driving them on. Let their way be dark and slippery, with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. For without cause they hid their net for me. Without cause they dug a pit for my soul. Let destruction come upon him unawares, and let the net which he hid catch himself. Into that very destruction let him fall. And my soul shall rejoice in the Lord, and shall exult in his salvation. All my bones will say, Lord, who is like you, who delivers the afflicted from him who is too strong for him, and the afflicted and the needy from him who robs him? Malicious witnesses rise up. They ask me of things that I do not know. They repay me evil for good, to the bereavement of my soul. But as for me, when they are sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting and my prayer kept returning to my bosom. I went about as though it were my friend or brother. I bowed down mourning as one who sorrows for a mother. But at my stumbling they rejoiced and gathered themselves together. The smiters whom I did not know gathered together against me. They slandered me without ceasing. Like godless jesters at a feast, they gnashed at me with their teeth. Lord, how long will you look on? Rescue my soul from their ravages, my only life from the lions. I will give you thanks in the great congregation. I will praise you among a mighty throng. Do not let those who are wrongfully my enemies rejoice over me, nor let those who hate me without cause wink maliciously. But they do not speak peace but they devised deceitful words against those who are quiet in the land. They opened their mouth wide against me. They said, Aha! Aha! Our eyes have seen it. You have seen it, O Lord. Do not keep silent. O Lord, do not be far from me. Stir yourself up, and awake to my right, and to my cause, my Lord and my God. Judge me, O Lord my God, according to your righteousness, and do not let them rejoice over me. Do not let them say in their heart, Aha, our desire. Do not let them say, We have swallowed him up. Let those be ashamed and humiliated altogether who rejoice at my distress. Let those be clothed with shame and dishonor who magnify themselves over me. Let them shout for joy and rejoice who favor my vindication, and let them say continually, The Lord be magnified, who delights in the prosperity of his servant. And my tongue shall declare your righteousness and your praise all day long. Okay, there was some very interesting stuff here today that we need to talk about. But let's begin with chapter 20, where we see the sin of Moses. Now, as a footnote, it says that Miriam died, and that's the last time we see her, obviously. But here we have the Israelites complaining yet again, because they are not getting what they think they need. And God knows exactly what they need, but they wanted water, and they wanted it now. So they were complaining again. And you can imagine that Moses and Aaron are so frustrated with these people. I'm sure I would be, as a leader of these people, Moses has a lot more patience than I do, and that's probably why I didn't lead the Exodus. But both Moses and Aaron are instructed to speak to this rock. They're supposed to go to this rock and speak to it. Now, in the past, they were told to strike the rock, and it was going to produce water. But this time, God changed the instruction and said that they needed to speak to the rock before their eyes, and that it would yield its water. He was to take up the rod, which is symbolic of God's power, in showing that it was God that did it, and not Moses. But things did not go as well as they usually do when Moses does the will of God, because he did not do the will of God in this situation. What happened was, in his frustration with these people, he chose to not honor God by being an effective leader. So he went up to the rock, he scolded the people out of anger, and he struck the rock twice, not just once, but twice. And it did produce water, but God was upset because his standards were not kept. But we need to ask the obvious question. Moses only screwed up just this one time throughout the entire Exodus. And you're telling me because he made one mistake. That he's not allowed to go into the Promised Land? Well, yes, but why? It says elsewhere in Scripture that leaders are accountable for the souls of those that are under their care. And I think it was the Apostle Paul who said to pray that many of you are not teachers, because those people will be held to a greater condemnation if they lead people astray. What Moses did did not honor God and as the leader of the entire nation, he set a really bad example. And so God is holding him accountable for that. And so he is told that he is not going to enter into the promised land that he's leading the people to. He is going to die before the people enter the promised land. Then the nation of Israel went to the border of Edom. Now, if you recall, Edom is the family of Esau. So we have Jacob's family and Esau's family interacting here for the first time since they became a mighty people. And they asked, can we go through your land? We're not going to do anything silly. We're not going to use your resources. We just want to cut through your land to get where we're going. And Edom said, no. And they asked again, please, pretty please. And Edom said, not only no, but I'm going to go out and fight y'all if you, you're going to keep asking. And so they ended up not doing that. And so they decided to not go that way, and they went to Mount Hor. And here at Mount Hor, we say goodbye to Aaron. Aaron has fulfilled his duties, and now the mantle of the high priest is being passed to his son, Eleazar. And now Eleazar is the high priest of Israel. Then we see a brief footnote in chapter 21 of beating the king of Arad, who lived in the Negev, which there's not really a whole lot mentioned here, except that the nation of Israel begged God to deliver the enemy into their hands, and that they would utterly destroy them, meaning to not leave any survivors. And that was God's intention all along. He wants these people completely wiped out that doesn't seem like a very nice god is it well hold on now we're coming into another controversial point if god is really so good and so loving why does he condone genocide well it's not that he doesn't revel in death he does not enjoy the destruction of humanity however sin disgusts him and yet the scripture is very clear in multiple places some that we've already passed where God is saying that he does not want these evil people to influence Israel. These people will lead them astray if they are spared. And therefore, the only logical solution is to wipe them out. Let them die in their sins. And that's why God does this. And he does deliver them from this battle. But it's not because he just enjoys killing people, but because it serves a purpose. He wants his people to be righteous and holy in his sight, just like he is. And these people are not going to help them toward that end. Then we come to another portion of Scripture where the people are complaining again. And you would think that all these past times where people died during these situations, that Israel would learn its lesson. But they don't. And so here we are again, seeing the people complain about food and water, and the food they have is not good enough for them. And they're probably talking about the manna. And so the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. Now, I don't know if these are literal snakes made out of fire, or these are just venomous snakes that have a bite that burns. It's not really clear. But what is clear is that God does something supernatural through this, that illustrates something that is going to happen in the future of Israel. So when the people got bit by these serpents, Moses was told to build a bronze serpent, to put a serpent up high on a pole. And if anyone were to look at that serpent after they had been bit, then they would not die from the snake bite. What is this? So here we have controversy number three. One of the Ten Commandments is that we are not to worship idols. And yet, here, he wants them to look at an object as a form of hope. That's very interesting. Why? Why is he doing this? This is all spiritual illustration here. This literally happened, let's be clear. But it's teaching a deeper point. The sin in our lives is what's burning us, it is causing us to go to a place. Of eternal burning. And that's hell. Hell is a real place. Hell is where those that are not saved are going to go. We only have one hope, and that is if we look up and we fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. And he died on a tree, he died on the cross, he died on a pole for you and for me. And only when we look to him can we be saved. But here's the thing. They did not put a man on the pole, did they? They put a serpent. Usually, throughout Scripture, the serpent is symbolic of Satan. So is it saying that we should look up to Satan? No, absolutely not. But think about the Catholic faith real quickly here. They affirm Christ on a crucifix, right? They are content to be reminded of the sacrifice that Jesus did on the cross. And by having Mass, they are reenacting that, in a sense. It's despicable, but I'm not going to go down that road. But the whole point I'm trying to make is that the Catholic cross has Christ on it. The Protestant cross does not have Christ on it. Why? Because we believe that our Christ is not on the cross anymore. He's already done the work. It's already dealt with. But he came down from that cross and he was buried and he rose again on the third day. And he lives forever today as our mediator, as our Lord, as our King. Right? But guess what? There will be a day where someone is going to suffer the consequences of all the evil that they have done. And that is Satan. So, not only is this bronze serpent symbolic of what Christ did, but it's also symbolic that Satan is going to hang for his crimes one day. And he's not going to come down, he is going to be cast into hell forever for all the stuff he's been doing. So, this is a beautiful illustration in the book of Numbers, of all places, where we see this being taught to us the apostle paul refers to this scene jesus also mentions this when he has his conversation with nicodemus and through that conversation he is showing us that the bronze serpent is symbolic of him and what he came to do so such beautiful theology that we find here in the old testament after this the israelites go and they fight two different kings they fight Sion, the king of the Amorites, and they fight Og, the king of Bashan. These people are going to be mentioned throughout various psalms and songs and reminders in Israel's history because of how great of a victory this was. They took a huge area of land that was very fertile, very beautiful, and they claimed it for themselves. They utterly wiped out all of them. There were no remnant left in any of them. Now, if you were reading this and you were wondering what this was, let me just briefly tell you. In verse 14, it says, Therefore it is said in the book of the wars of the Lord. What is that? What is the book of the wars of the Lord? Is that something that is in our Bible? No, it is not. In fact, there is no record of what this is. It seems like it was a collection of war songs, but it was not preserved for today. We don't have any copies of this anywhere. So this was probably lost to us in history, but I just wanted to make it clear that this is not anywhere in the Bible, nor should we attribute it to being part of the Bible. Now, as we go into chapter twenty two, we meet a couple of people. We have Balak and we have Balaam. Balak is the king of Moab, and he is afraid of the Israelites because they are on the border of his land. They are a numerous people. It is now famous that the Israelites have defeated three different kings now, and he's freaking out. And so he's thinking up ideas of how he can stop these people and how they can be defeated. And so his best Conclusion at this point is that he's going to find somebody to curse the entire nation. And so he thinks of somebody named Balaam. Now, Balaam apparently is a prophet of some kind. He does recognize the true God of the Israelites, he does have some sort of ability to communicate directly with God, and God reveals himself through visions and prophetic words. Through Balaam. But yet you don't see a fully invested prophet here. It seems often that he uses his abilities for divination in a way that God does not agree with. He knew who the true God was, but he also used omens and soothsaying, which is not acceptable and in the law of Moses is worthy of death. And so, at a surface level, it'll seem like Balaam is doing the will of God, and in a way he is. But if you look deeper at his heart, you can see a man who has a divided allegiance. He wants what the king of Moab wants to reward him with. He wants the materialism. He wants payment. He wants the fortune. And yet, at the same time, he is careful not to step over certain boundaries. Or at least it may seem like he's trying to sidestep God on some things in a very sneaky, underhanded way. But he was hoping that God would change his mind and permit him to go with the Moabites. Ultimately, God did let him go, right? We see that they came and approached him. God told him in a dream to not go, and he sent the people away. But when they came back with greater numbers, more influential people, probably more money on the line, then he asked God again, hey, could you please change your mind? And it really shows you his love for money. There's no doubt that he is fully invested in the things of this world more than he is in the things of God. And so he's trying to serve both masters here, and it's not going to go well for him. That's why when some people read this portion of scripture, they think it's a contradiction. Because look at what it says in verse 20. God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men have come to call you, rise up and go with them, but only the word which I speak to you shall you do. God's giving him permission, right? But then look what it says in verse 22. But God was angry because he was going. Well, hold on. He just let him go. Why is he angry? Because his original command was that he did not want him to go. And he's negotiating with God, and God is going to use him through it. But that is not his will. His will was that he did not go. But God also has what we call a permissive will. It is not God's perfect will sometimes when we do something. But sometimes he will allow us to experience consequences from our sin, and he'll still get his will accomplished. This is part of the discipline of the Lord that we often see. And so God was upset with him because of his heart condition. His heart was not invested in what God wanted. Balaam was more worried about what he was going to get out of it, and you can see that throughout the rest of this scripture. So that's why we see God angry, and he draws his sword as Balaam is riding toward him. And the donkey sees it. We don't understand why Balaam doesn't see it, because his mind is clouded by his materialism. But the donkey sees God and tries to save Balaam, and is afraid of the angel of the Lord. But Balaam just keeps hitting this poor donkey. And then we see a very odd piece of scripture right here, where God opens the mouth of the donkey, and the donkey speaks to Balaam, saying, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? To my knowledge, this is the only place in the Bible where we see an animal speak. But you know what is even more odd to me? Is that Balaam didn't even seem to bat an eye at it. It seems like he wasn't even surprised that the donkey was able to speak. Either he's had experience with animals speaking before, and demons maybe are able to do that, or he is just so deep in his selfishness that he barely even noticed. And then the donkey has to reason with him on this, and Balaam sees the point in what the donkey is saying, and then he's able to see God, and God shows him like, hey, This donkey saved you from me because I had my sword ready to strike you down. You need to go, and you need to do what I said. You not say anything that I didn't tell you. So Balaam did go with Balak, and so far, everything that we saw in chapter 23 that Balaam said was what God wanted him to say. And while this is an actual thing that happened, It's terrible what Balak is trying to do. There is a good deal of humor in this, if you saw that. We see Balak build seven altars, and they perform sacrifices on each of these altars, and then Balaam goes to get a word from the Lord, and the Lord shows him what he's going to say, puts the words literally into his mouth. And he returns, and he's supposed to be uttering a curse toward Israel, but instead he comes back and pronounces a blessing to Balak on the nation of Israel. And Balak is like, what are you doing, man? I brought you over here to curse them. So that didn't work the first time. So they go somewhere else and try to do the exact same thing again from a different vantage point. And Balak says to give them a curse. Balaam comes back and says a blessing on Israel again. And then Balak says, Look, if you're going to bless them, just don't say anything at all. Either curse them or shut your mouth, because you're not helping me at all here. And then Balaam said, why are you mad at me? I'm asking God, and God is putting this in my mouth. What do you want me to do? And then we get to a more humorous portion, where it makes me feel like Balak only has two brain cells to rub together. Where he says, please come, I'll take you to another place. Perhaps it will be agreeable with God that you curse them for me from there. As if God just wanted a particular setting to have this curse go on. I don't understand his logic in this, but he thinks this is what's going to work. And Balaam is going to do the same thing again after they built seven more altars. And it's not going to go well for Balak. He is not going to get what he wants. And that's what we're going to see next time, as we see the final blessings of Balaam, and then we see the Israelites start to worship Baal. Although all of these blessings were put upon Israel, they still scorn God, and they still worship idols. Unbelievable. We can't be mad at them, though, because that is us as well. We do it to God all the time. Moving on to Psalm 35, this was a longer psalm of David, but it was chock full of good stuff. We see that David is petitioning to the Lord to deliver him and to bring destruction on his enemies, and we have seen a lot of petitions from David like this. Then we see he's lamenting the unjust hatred of his enemies against him. It isn't fair, right? how much some people hate us for our faith, even though they don't really know who we are, or we don't really deserve it. But that's going to be the pattern of the world. And if you haven't experienced that, then I question whether or not you're a real Christian. Because if you were doing the will of Jesus Christ, if you were trying to make disciples, if you were to evangelize, share the gospel with people, you would have this effect on the world. You would look very different from your average person. And there will be people who like what they hear from you. Maybe that you'll convert a few people. But the vast majority of the people who hear the word of God will hate it because they are so much in love with their sins. They will have hatred towards you, not because of who you are, but because of who you represent. So we see David here have this same hatred upon him. And then he's petitioning the Lord for deliverance, and for justice to be done. Justice is in God's timing. It doesn't always happen the way we want it, when we want it, but God will have justice. No one gets away with their sin scot-free. We don't really know if this is the case, but scholars suggest that this was likely written during the time when David was being hunted by Saul, and he might be elaborating on some stuff that's going on in 1 Samuel chapter 24. But again, this is just speculation. Today's scripture to memorize is a little bit different, and the purpose of memorizing this one is to remind us of how precious and how powerful God's Word is in our own lives. So the scripture to memorize today is going to be Numbers chapter 23, verse 12. This is when Balaam is speaking to Balak about the blessings and the curses toward Israel. He replied, Must I not be careful to speak what the Lord puts in my mouth? We need to put God's word into our mouths and we need to use it toward that effect. Everything that comes forth from our mouth and from our hearts should be pleasing to Him. And if it is not, then we are in error. We are in sin, and we need to repent. And with that, that's all I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.